This season of Smashing the Ceiling is brought to you by the Skylark Collective. Skylark is a new London-based network for women in podcasting, and this year we'll be hosting the inaugural International Women's Podcast Awards at the Albright in London. The collective exists to raise the voices of women in podcasting, both behind the mic and behind the scenes, and to showcase the work of women out there producing incredible audio moments through the medium of podcasting. So if you've got your own podcast or you're thinking of starting one, Head to our website at skylarkcollective.co.uk for more information or follow us on socials at the Skylark Collective. Now, on with the show. So living there was a whole different experience. And and I was really taken aback when one of the young girls asked me, why is it that I am going to school or university for higher education, whereas the women uh, or the young girls in the neighborhood didn't even get to finish their primary education. So that was a huge, huge undertaking for me to have to address that question with those young, bright minds. These girls were really intelligent, really bright-eyed, promising young women, but they didn't ever have the access to the same opportunity as I. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Mella. On this podcast, we love to showcase the lives of women who have achieved amazing things in their careers, those who've got a really cool or unusual job, and some who've just had a really interesting life. If you're looking for inspiration for your career, if you feel a little stuck or bored with what you're doing right now, or if you're in search of the road less travelled job-wise, then this is the podcast for you. Each week, I sit down with one woman to dig a little deeper into the how of it all. How did they get where they are? How did they pick themselves up when things didn't go right? And how their mentors, mistakes and motivations have led them to achieve the things they have. Some people take half a lifetime to discover their passion, but others know their calling from an early age. And my guest today definitely falls into the latter category. If Fat Gill was only 25 when she was first invited to speak to the UN after founding her first not-for-profit in Pakistan at the age of 22. Ifat grew up in Libya and received her education there with the strong encouragement of her family. But when she returned back to her home nation of Pakistan, she realised the need for community education in the effort to empower women. Ifat began with a local skills centre, teaching women the practical aspects of running a small business, but soon realised that her future lay in tech. She has gone on to found Code for Change, a diversity non-profit to upskill and reskill underrepresented groups, and lately Digital Starling, a new AI-enabled female talent marketplace supporting digital freelancers and founders. In 2020, Ifat was nominated for the UNESCO Prize for her work in women and girls education, which is a frigging major achievement, and she is world-renowned for her expertise in digital skills advocacy and internet governance. It was a pleasure to have her on the podcast, and I really enjoyed this chat. I was born in Libya. Uh, My parents used to work there. Um, It was such a tremendous experience to be growing abroad and then still having to go in summers to my grandfather and grandmother's farmhouse back in Pakistan. It was just a whole different experience, you know. Uh, So I was born in Libya. I stayed there till I finished my primary school. And then for secondary school, I finished it in Malta, which is um, close by. So it was all very Mediterranean and and both the food and the environment and the beaches. Um, And then uh, I stayed there till the time I was uh, about to start university. So I moved back to Pakistan with my family because they decided to move back. 
to to Pakistan and that's where I did my university degree in in pharmacy and your dad was a big proponent of education for for you and your family um and I've read that you you said that that was a big change when you got back to Pakistan as a as a young adult that you found a big contrast can you just talk to us a little bit about that as well if um yes it was a it was a huge shock for me to have to adjust back into my own culture even though I I belonged from that culture I, I never had actually lived in Pakistan before per se um so living there was a whole different experience and and I was I was really taken aback when some one of the young girls asked me why is it that I am going to school um, or, or you know university for higher education whereas the women uh, or the young girls in the neighborhood didn't even get to uh, finish their primary primary school primary education so that was a huge huge um, uh, undertaking for me to have to address that question with those young bright minds that these girls were really intelligent really bright-eyed um, promising young women but they didn't ever have the access to the same opportunity as I so this is what actually uh, kicked uh, my my social work um, because of those questions that I got from those young young girls so I started my first skill center um, which resulted from these conversations that I had from these young ladies and then I became friends with them I told them why I'm allowed to go um, which is out of their frame of reference of course um, but once they they became part of what I was doing part of the project I made they could understand why it is important for women to to have that independence which with you know ha- have the education which leads to financial independence and what it means for for any woman um who is even if she's married off um you know as per tradition and then you need to support yourself you know incidents happen circumstances happen and you need to support yourself and your children what are you going to do then if you're not equipped with the with knowledge or or skills to support yourself so a lot of them could really appreciate afterwards um, what we did for them. Mm, for sure. And just going back a step, if it wasn't normal practice in Pakistan for women to be receive or girls to be receiving even primary school education, what was it that made your dad recognize the value of that and for him to believe in that in the in the importance of that for you as his daughter? I, I wish I I wish I had more conversations with him around that. I just always remember when we moved back, it wasn't just these women, these young women who would come and ask me this question. Men would come up to him and ask him the same question, okay. right? Like he would wow. be like, "Okay, the the fate uh, in inverted commas, you know, uh, for for the girls is we marry them off as per tradition, and then it's the responsibility of the in laws, and their most of the responsibility is is around you know cooking meals and and rearing children." Um, which is n- not to say that th- this is not something that, you know, women who choose to do it, that there is a problem with it, but that was just pre-assigned that this is your fate and this is all you can you can amount to. And my, I remember my dad having those conversations with those men, and this is one thing. I mean, do, he had to be mindful of the cultural norms, and this is how it's, he explained to them. He said, let's say I do marry her off as, as per tradition, and then something you know, um, an accident happens and she's, she's, you know, her husband is not there anymore to support her. What is she going to do then? And I'm not there to support her because I'm not going to live forever. So what is her going 
what is her existence going to be? Who is she going to rely on to support herself and her children? So I think this is re- that this is how he justified it to other men that this is why we need to um, to encourage our girls to to have education to so that they can um, have decent jobs and that they are um, there is a lesser chance of them ex- being exploited, for example, in different circumstances. And I have to say, a lot of the times it did work for these women. That uh, sorry for these men who came and asked them questions and then they were more open to send their girls to our vocational training center to learn skills because then they kind of understood why um, you know some people like my father were doing it and um, why it was necessary for them as well to to encourage their girls and not to stop them from uh, pursuing these opportunities and um, I and he wasn't my father was not always also just you know, a strong uh, advocate for girls' education. He was also really um, particular about adapting new technologies and, and you know, digital skills, for example, to, to stay up to date. Like it's one thing to get a university degree, but then to keep up with what is, you know, with the global trends, with the technological trends, that was another thing. So he actually really actively encouraged me to learn. He gave me the access and he um, encouraged me to pursue certain opportunities that, for example, that I found online uh, while I was building my skills um, um, in parallel to my university degree in, you know, my tech skills. He sounds like an absolutely wonderful man. And I always think that, um, you know, we talk a lot about women encouraging women, but actually the the value of male allyship in those sort of situations cannot be really underestimated. And I think fathers and daughters is such a unique bond in that sense and the kind of encouragement that comes is just absolutely wonderful um and so you did your degree in pharmacy you mentioned at what point did you realize you didn't want to be a pharmacist and you were going to do something else because you said you were doing learning things on the side and kind of teaching yourself I know you were big on kind of teaching yourself computing and technology and and things all the way through your kind of childhood and teenage years what point did you kind of realize that that was your path rather than being a pharmacist so, so the way um, still, I mean, despite being very progressive, my parents were always also very focused, like any South, South Asian families, they're very focused on job security in the future for their children. So they said, uh, this is the time uh, when internet was just becoming mainstream. Um, and, um, you know, um, we were just slowly moving on to digital jobs. And but it hadn't become mainstream yet. Right. So so at that point, it was hard for them to force see the kind of careers it could lead to so they said it's we would rather have you do a degree in a in a sector that we know and we are you know we are aware of and we know that you will sure shot get a job if you ever need to work in the future um and that was their their perspective on it right but at the same time because they knew I was really I really wanted to do masters in computer science for example so they let me um have extra classes on the side um, to learn those skills. Um, um, it, it, and it, it, it had to be allowed by them in inverted commas because in Pakistan we had to pay for the, for the university, of course. So um, they were generous enough, kind enough to pay for my education. Um, but, but then I, they also saw that I was only doing this because of, um, you know, the, the norms 
and and I and I love science. I I love science and and I loved um, medicine and I loved studying about anatomy and biochemistry and organic chemistry. Um, but that was not where my heart was. I knew I wouldn't want to work in a pharmacy or I wouldn't want to work in a hospital environment. That just wasn't for me. And I have great respect for people who do it. It just wasn't for me. I wanted to, uh, especially, and I think it it even became stronger when I started working with these young women on on um, on their rights. It I just knew that. I had a completely different calling. Um, so I, I taught myself um, computer skills, how to build websites by myself. And then I got really interested into, into this internet governance debate on how these how the, the policy shape is shaping around these, these emerging technologies and how different governments are tackling, tackling it. So I got really interested in that. I did specialized courses on that online. Um, and I um, started talking about the projects that I was doing um, in combination to this study. And I started talking about how I was using or leveraging internet to connect the women that we were training to global markets or how we were finding ways with them to find, to connect them because then it's, it's, it's a tool, right? It's, 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 it's a great connector at the same time. So, so I start, as I started talking about it, then I was invited to UN platforms to speak about my work and how, um, 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 Leaving those groups out, you know, the, those women from rural slash suburban communities, leaving those out, out of the digital economy and, and also young people, um, not just women, um, how leaving them out would have a terrible impact on the, the millennium development goals that were, that were being discussed back in the day and now which have now moved on to um, sustainable development goals. If we want to achieve those goals of global prosperity and equality, it's very important to do extra, to go extra mile for, for these really disadvantaged communities in, in developing countries or emerging economies. So this was, this then became my, um, you know, my, uh, topic basically mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. i became one of the pioneers who who um advocated for them at the un platforms it's amazing and the thought of going to speak at the un about something you're really passionate about is kind of you know anyone who's working in any kind of development sustainability anything to do with young people or women and girls like that's like the dream for people you know to kind of have that platform at the un how was that as an experience for you and and how did that kind of shape your your own development i guess as well if i well, the first time I got the email that because of the papers I wrote around, you know, how this is impacting the people that I'm working with and how they are just they just need extra support to to become on board of these technologies and especially the capacity building. You know, it's one thing to have access to the technologies and then it's one thing to know um, how to use it right for for social and economic benefits. Um, some of us, they can figure it out by themselves. They're initiative takers like, you know, you and I probably, we find ways because we are too proactive, but not everybody's like that. And I think that is where we need, we need to provide extra support so that we can show the way to the others who have not, who are not there yet. Um, it, the first time I got the email, I think it was really overwhelming. I was in disbelief. I, I remember printing that email out and taking it to my, to my father and he just he just looked at the email and he looked at me and he, and he was like, okay, <laughs> we all had to take a deep breath. And then of course he was like, this is he was just he was just incredibly proud of me. And and I was like in my head I was making up this story like how I'm going to to ask him that he should let me go uh, to to this 
Was this, this to New York, event. was it? Um, so this, the first event was in uh, Rio de Janeiro that I was invited. Oh, how nice. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> that was in my early 20s. Just a casual little trip to Rio de Janeiro. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how old were you at this point? Yeah, I was, I was uh, 25 and um, okay. just preparing to finish my university as well. And uh, I have to say, I'm sure my father didn't sleep that night, but he had already said to me, no, you must avail this. You're going definitely you're going um so I, I remember that um when I went there I for like 24 hours I I just you know having to because the travel was so long with stopovers and everything and then to to the hotel and then to figure out how to call back and say okay I'm here safe my mother didn't sleep for two nights probably because I had no way to connect and and finally mm. we did and then but the, it it all worked out really well that was a really overwhelming um, but really, really exciting experience to be one of the youth leaders who is talking about the involvement of youth and women in the internet governance policies. That was really, really amazing experience for me. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Because so you, you started your first skills centre when you were 22. Yes. Was that when you were still at university? I was just preparing to start my, my university. Yes, I was still making wow. the choice okay. uh, on what to do. Yeah. And how did you kind of um, get started with that and identify what your goals were going to be and what the sort of structure of the skill center was going to be and how you were going to build that, I guess, because you're essentially starting an entrepreneur startup, although in the, you know, not for profit space and, and it's a um, a real kind of business with purpose, I suppose, if up, but you essentially are still running a business on the side of doing your studies. How did you kind of structure that and and make that work, I suppose? Because as anyone who has studied a full-time degree knows that doing a business on the side is kind of, well, hard work, really. The approach that I'm sharing with you is has been my 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 approach to this day of how I work on projects. I start by talking to this group that I want to work with specifically. So in this case, I started by these by having these in-depth one-on-one conversations with these young women and understanding what their existing talents and skill sets are and how um, and then it helped me understand how we can build on that, right? For example, these women were not educated. So so we couldn't uh, provide them um, uh, high-tech um, trainings, for example, right? So we had to work with what they did. So we, I asked them, I interviewed a lot of them. I said, okay, what is it that you're good at? What is it that you like? A lot of them wanted to um, make do dressmaking. They were really into fashion and they wanted to design dresses and, they, and you know, they wanted to learn dressmaking. So the first skill center focused on um, basic literacy, on how to read and write and um, dressmaking skills and definitely the marketing skills. Like, okay, now they've made this really beautiful embroidered dress. And, and of course, you know, they, we had to teach them what works in the market, what doesn't, you know, what, what is the styles and designs that are in that will work, that will help them um, tweak their products so that they, they have more sales and, and definitely the marketing skills. And for that, we also invited people from, and this was all trial and error, right? Like we, we didn't exactly just figure it out overnight. We'd, um, my father also started talking to his friends from the, from the industry, for example, his business community, and they would actually come and give kind of guest lectures. Um, and it, it wasn't even structured as a lecture. They would just come and talk. They would just stand there and have this brief talk like, okay, if you want to 
do this work for us and provide us with embroidered clothes. This is what you need to keep in mind. This is what you what we are looking for. And this just developed into this whole, you know, workshop style um, center <laughs> center where, where they were learning from their instructors and every day. But then also these people from the market will come and give them tips and tricks every now and then and how they can do use different tricks to maximize their their sales. Um, so, so we had to, I think the most important takeaway for me, which really helped me till this day is, uh, which is, I feel we don't do enough of is talk to the people that you're trying to benefit instead of creating solutions for them, work with them and, and, and try and understand what is it that they need and how your product can then support what they need and what you're trying to create, how it complements with what the needs on the grounds are. This is where a lot of the organizations need to do more work, that they fail to involve those local communities that they are trying to benefit, that they are trying to elevate. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think that actually extends to anybody starting any kind of business, isn't it? You know, I was just actually thinking about my own business and thinking I probably need to talk more to the, it's about customer feedback and knowing what your customer wants, essentially, isn't it? Whether you're doing it for profit or not for profit, at the end of the day, you're providing a, a product or a service to two people. And, and actually, if you're not providing what people need or what people want, you're not going to be a success, are you? And I think it's, it's a really basic thing, but it's so easily overlooked and forgotten. Yeah, and because it was on a small scale, I mean, in two, three years, we trained up to 200 women, uh, girls in those skills. And it was easy for us to then continuously improve what we're doing based on the feedback that we were continuously getting from the students and from the teachers. Like, okay, now we, we I think we need to buy uh, embroidery machines instead of, you know, doing the the, the hand embroidery for, for the women because the the amount of time it takes, for example, to, to create one piece of um a scarf or a dress, you know, we call it tupatas. So, so then the, the the feedback that we were getting, it was um, for us, it was easy then to in continuously incorporate those changes and improve on the on the project. And how did you? So, so you obviously went on to found Code for Change. How did you progress from teaching women fashion and kind of those physical production skills and marketing in that textile business and and in Pakistan to, you know, really taking quite a pivot I guess if I into um, technology into coding and I, I know obviously now you're in AI which we'll come on to but um, how did you kind of progress the idea from that original skill center into taking it to a, a much bigger level with Code for Change? Right. Um, so as, as I was becoming more known for the work that I was doing for these women who had a different educational level, um, we were also at the same time trying to connect with um, IT related projects so that we can help these women market their products internationally. At the same time, um, uh, we were becoming more known outside of our neighborhood slash, you know, region and then um, we were approached by young graduates actually um, who wanted us to teach them digital skills so then my my second um, center uh, that that we set up in Pakistan was actually the community technology center for women which we set up in uh, Thal desert of Pakistan um, because that's where um, most of the need came from because um, it's it's related to the story um, 
which is connected to the floods in Pakistan. Whenever there's flood season in the monsoon season, um, there's a lot of um, damage that's being done by the flood in that in, by the floodings in that region. And what happens is then there's a lot of uh, humanitarian work, and a lot of those organizations then hire local women because they want the the local people to work with them to deliver. Um, humanitarian aid. Now, these are also international organizations which really needed people who, who had computer skills. So there were, the jobs were there and there were plenty of them, but these young women didn't have the skills to, to do data entry, for example. So that's why we, we saw the need and that came from these young women again. Um, and we started uh, catering for the needs of those, those young women so that they could get direct access to the jobs that were available at that point. Right. And at the same time, when we started that, the nurses community and the teachers community, they started coming to us saying we all our systems are also being computerized. And whenever there is a problem in the in the hospital, we have to go and wait for that one tech guy who has to come from far away to to fix one small problem. And, and we also want to learn. So then this center kind of became this central place where all these women, you know, professional women communities would come and learn technical skills based on their needs and the and the trainers that we hired were quite agile <laughs> now they were quite flexible so they quickly understood what their needs were and then they would give them a, a, a kind of like a quick immersive course based on their specific needs um, and this is how we we started um, the the technology trainings um, after that I moved in 2011 to uh, Netherlands for personal reasons, but because my heart was still in my work back in Pakistan, I started talking to women organizations. Um, I did public speaking and um, I started talking to women communities and women organizations about the work that I did in Pakistan. And they said to me, but we also have a similar need here because when women drop out of workforce, they don't have necessarily the means um, or the opportunities to upgrade their skill. Because if you come back to work after two to five years, whatever your gap is, the, the, everything has changed. Um, the, the whole technology scene has changed. So there's no, there was no program available for them at that point, which uh, prepared them for the opportunities that existed then in the job market. And again, 90% of the jobs now um, require you to be digitally savvy. They require you to be um, uh, experts in all those different tools and technologies. So this was a this was a huge challenge for these women in between jobs, professional women who um, were trying to get back into the workforce. So I designed the Code to Change program uh, together with um, uh, uh, supporters from City of Amsterdam and the corporate sector, um, different companies to actually give these opportunities a head start so that they could meet and network with the right people. And at the same time, they get a refresher course in um, skills like coding. So we, we had this really immersive program where they would build a website, for example, in uh, three days. And then they would have a sh to, you know, the opportunity to showcase what they built to people that they were applying to, for example, the recruiters. And a lot of them uh, would immediately get start getting noticed after this program because previously they did, you know, the, the recruiters are not equipped to, to see um, they're not kind to people who have this gap especially to women and they just assume that they don't know what, you know, this is the world we're living in, unfortunately. But that happens so readily with women, doesn't it? Especially if you've had a break to have children as well. And, you know, 
it's that's not just that some people have professional breaks for other reasons but it's a common that's a common scenario and things change so quickly in technology these days and I think feeling that feeling of being left behind is so daunting that you know you feel like you'll never catch up you feel like you're never going to know and actually to have the opportunity to code a website in three days and showcase it to somebody is an incredible opportunity Yes, yes. So what, what actually started to happen with our bootcamp, with our coding bootcamp that we started with this whole program, it was it was not just a coding bootcamp, it was a whole elaborate program where they would start off with with this um, short bootcamp and then we would analyze what their skills, what their strong suits are and which uh, field is more fit based on their needs and interests and current you know existing skill set. And then we would pair them with mentors for six months and they would work with their mentors to build that specific skill, whether it's in digital marketing or sales or coding. It's it really depends on on the women themselves. And then what started to happen was then coders or um, programmers who didn't get the opportunity, who were who went unnoticed by recruiters because they because of bias or whatever reasons, they started joining our programs just to have access to the network, and we allowed it because this was the only probably the only opportunity they would get noticed. So we let them, but then we kind of segregated the the group into two like these are the beginners and these are the 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 intermediate level ones which do have experience so that we would introduce them to different sort of opportunities than the beginners one um and this is how now we are um working in uh uh it started in amsterdam we opened the opportunity for women in amsterdam and we started getting up applications from women around the world which was a huge surprise for us we were really um, amazed at the the need you know uh, the the drive for this for these kinds of programs and now we are fortunately working in eight different european cities um, uh, and we are kind of replicating what we started here in the netherlands to to other european countries now so just for anyone who might be listening, what are the cities, which are the eight cities that you're working in, if people are interested in that as an opportunity? If I... Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I threw that one on you a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> I just thought, actually, you can imagine people listening being like, oh, I wonder if it's in my city. Uh, it's uh, Belgium, uh, Germany, uh, Czech Republic, Bulgaria, Greece, Netherlands and Italy. Okay, wonderful. That's a good selection. Good selection. So, and you mentioned um, mentoring women through Code for Change as well. And I know with your new company, um, some of the stuff I read said that you'd been um, working with your um, women in AI mentors through the Women in AI Accelerate program. Um, what do you think is the benefit of mentorship, both having been on the receiving end of mentorship yourself and also provision of mentors to other people? What kind of... Um, benefits do you think you've seen in with that over the years if that as well right um Naomi this is where you have to to really understand as a as a mentee what your what your exact needs are so there's a mixed uh, opinion about mentoring programs so there are mentoring programs which are just um excuse me for the for the word but which is more like window dressing that a lot of companies are probably starting saying yes we have a mentoring program which will teach them about how to be more confident, how to be more strong. Um, 
in my opinion, those programs are not doing much of a good. However, if they're geared towards a specific goal of, let's say, okay, by the end of this program, they would be able to um, start their own company, for example, then it, then it really works because then the mentee is really aware, okay, this is what I need mentorship for. And these are my goals. These are the specific milestones I can, I, and I need a specific subject matter expert to help me with this, whether it's a technical expert or an entrepreneurship expert, you know, who, who knows how to start a business and has run a business, for example. So, so the general mentorship programs don't, don't always work. They, a lot of women think um, that they are a waste of their time because time is, is really precious for everybody. Everybody's so busy and it's, it really puts a strain on the mentor themselves as well. And on the mentees, if there, if there's no clear, understanding of what we want to achieve at the end of this program, right? Which is aware programs which are um, connected with accelerator programs, for example, they, they work really well, uh, provided you're connected with the right mentor, um, because that's the biggest challenge that you need to have a good fit with your mentor as as a mentee, um, if that if if and if you have that connection, you can achieve a lot. Like you know, if your entrepreneurial journey, if you know, let's say you would take 1.5 years to achieve something, if you have the right entrepreneur, you can achieve the same things in six months, in my experience. So that is really important to see for people who are setting up mentorship programs to keep that in mind. And for people who are joining mentorship programs, uh, have a very clear idea of why I'm joining this and what the, what is it that I want to get out of it? If, if it doesn't say what, what you are supposed to get out of it by the end of it, you're going to be wasting your time. And then I would, I would suggest you look for a different program. So we have mentorship programs, which are geared towards learning goals. At the end of this program, for example, I want to be able to code in Python, for example, and then um, uh, the ones that are geared towards entrepreneur, entrepreneurial needs, you know, by the end of this program, for example, in six months, I want to at least have my business registered, I want to have my business plan ready, I want to have my um, pitch deck ready, I want to, to have my, you know, um, my network uh, sorted out, like these are the people I want to get in touch with. And this is what I want to achieve in six months, those programs work really well. And those are the ones you should keep in mind. Um, when you're looking for a program. Mm. Amazing. That's such good advice, I think, for both mentees and prospective mentors as well. And um, we've touched very briefly on Digital Starling, which is your new venture, which I'm super excited about. Do you want to tell us about where the idea came from for that and what that is all about, what you're hoping to achieve and, and where you're going with that if that as well? So um, when I um, started my work here in Europe, um, I did not forget about the women that I was working with, you know, for back in Pakistan. So around 2016 and 17, I started um, um, uh, finding ways to, to kickstart my programs back in Pakistan again. And we managed to find a way uh, and we managed to find investment to, to be able to do that. Um, to date, we've trained close to four to 500 women in Pakistan alone. And this year, go, this year we hope to train 900 to 1,000 women more. Now, the idea wow. of... 
Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So the idea of digital starling, this AI uh, venture that I'm building now came from um, the, the, the experiences that we were having while we were training those women back in Pakistan. What happens in, the, in that project is we train them in web development, in UI and UX design, and in video editing. And then they go to the existing freelancing platforms and they start looking for gigs there too, so that they can earn from them. Now, mind you, 45% of the trainees that we trained in Pakistan are successfully earning um, while you know sitting in their homes um, and adhering to those cultural norms because they're not allowed to go outside and work. So for, this is a huge success in my opinion, um, but they would have a lot of challenges um, finding well, not just finding work, but also negotiating with the clients. They would always be offered less money because they, they didn't have a huge profile yet um, to back up you know, what, they, what they have done and what they didn't. Even though our uh, students were already getting clients uh, from UK and from UAE, from the, from the Emirates, for example. Um, but still, they would, they would have a lot of barriers to succeed on those existing platforms. And um, they would also, um, they didn't know um, um, contractually, you know, what, what are their rights and what, what they can and cannot do like they would provide work or concepts to some clients and that client would never come back to them so a lot of these things were happening and they were constantly giving us feedbacks around the challenges they are facing um so this this platform is designed to kind of automate a lot of those challenges that they were facing on the existing platforms where they don't have to negotiate the price the prices are fixed for specific tasks there are specific product categories that they work that they work in that are they are trained in that they know, okay, this is, this is, I want to design a logo. This is what I'll be paid for it. And this is how my payment will just directly come into my bank account. Um, and um, so basically this AI platform, it matches the, the um, freelancers, the female freelancers for com- from countries like Pakistan and other emerging economies to entrepreneurs like yourself, um, who is, who is, you know, uh, based in Europe or in US. Um, and for you as an entrepreneur, for example, as a female entrepreneur, it's also automated. You know you what you want. You just go to the platform and you click on what you need and then you'll be matched with the right person. And you also know you don't also have to worry about uh, negotiating the price or worrying about overpaying or underpaying um, the freelancer because those are the prices that we have, you know, after markets research, we have seen that this is a fair price, both as a new female founder, for example, or as a, as a startup and, and for the free, you know, freelancers who is working from Pakistan, for example, um, and the second thing that the platform, the digital styling platform does is that it also uh, takes their continuous learning needs um, in mind. So it um, suggests uh, courses to them, to the, to the freelancers that they can continuously use to grow and, and upgrade their skills even further so that they are becoming more and more experts in, in what they've, uh, they're currently doing. So these are the two things that digital styling does. And it, it again, it, beca- it came out of a need that was communicated to us by those women that we are working with. Wow. I'm, I'm blown away by that. And actually, you know, it's, a, it's the, the thing as a new female founder, having used some of the other kind of freelancer platforms, what you have no idea about is the, the actual skills and the, the kind of trust. It's a trust thing as well. And I think, you know, there are some really huge platform, freelancer platforms out there and, 
Um, but actually, when you are picking somebody, you have no idea who they are or what their background is or what their skills are. And actually, what you're also providing for entrepreneurs like me is is the security of saying, we trust these women. We know these women. Their work is going to be good. We have trained them, potentially. And, you know, that that actually it's a win-win for both parties that. And I think it's an incredible, it's an incredible idea. Where can people kind of go to find out about Digital Starling and, um, and sign up, obviously, <laughs> if they want? Right. We're still in um, uh, beta stage. So, um, but they can sign up at starling.digital um, and they'll be, they'll be posted on um, the first round of uh, clients that we are inviting to, to join the platform. You know, you you have got a huge wealth of experience in this. I should also let everybody know that Ifat was um, nominated for a UNESCO award for her work with women and girls education last year, which is a phenomenal achievement as well. Um, so she is truly a guru on this area. Um, have you got anything else that, you know, with prospective women going into AI and the tech industry, it still is... You know, we think of that kind of Silicon Valley jock male kind of environment. Like, do you have any advice for women going into that or anything else you'd like to add about kind of getting into this as an industry? If I... um, Definitely. Um, what I always say and the, the reason I truly believe that it's it's um, it really works to, you know, our programs, for example, at Code to Change or the other programs that we're doing in different countries is um, is the belief that you can start learning today and in six months you will be able to find an opportunity, a job opportunity in that specific um, um, area, for example, be it um, uh, programming or be it uh, deep tech, like artificial intelligence, for example. Um, And here's what I advise. Um, If possible, um, start finding the the communities. um, And I have to say, people don't know much about it because they don't know where to look, but there are women in tech slash women in AI or women in data science, women, you know, you name it. There are communities around the world now which are active in every single country. So try and connect with those communities and try and find a mentor because it really cuts short your learning journey as well. Try and find a good mentor in that area who can just who is just you, you, they don't even have to teach you because courses are available online all over the place like there's just too much of them too many of them um but what you need is this one person who's like a sounding board who's willing to talk to you once a month even just to tell you that you're going on the right track right or whether you are you need to maybe shift your focus on a different kind of course for example that's all in my opinion if you don't have any other opportunity to join those those programs that exist for example or if it's sometimes too unaffordable, you can do it online by yourself um, um, just with the help of um, a mentor. And if you don't have it in their country, just join the global communities because there's there's always, in my experience, there's always communities out there, somebody in those communities who is willing to speak to you about it and have a chat with you about it and guide you about where you should go next. Um, you know, there there's these platforms now on on apps like Clubhouse who are specifically focusing on, on uh, newcomers in specific subject or specific field, for example. Twitter is a great tool. If you search for the for the topic uh, specific topic you will get a wealth of resources make use of them start getting uh, you know becoming part of those conversations it's right now it's the perfect time to start and um 
you will and and don't be afraid really i know it's so cliche to say this don't be afraid to ask questions but this is one of our biggest fears right we don't want to look stupid so we don't ask questions i'm at a stage where i'm now um advising un bodies for example and even i sometimes don't understand certain things and i'm like yeah and then i just put myself out there and i say whoa wait you know on twitter like what does this mean and and please don't be afraid to do that because people i uh, people are just so in in my opinion in my belief people are just so helpful they naturally have this this uh, you know tendency to be good and to do good and this is what i feed off on let's let's just make use of that there are always amazing people out there who are willing to answer your questions and help you and point you to the right direction so this would be my advice um let's start today if you haven't already it's amazing and actually i was going to mention clubhouse as being a really good um resource i think if you're interested in the tech space in particular you know there's huge communities on there for anyone who doesn't know about clubhouse it's a new app that is um it's audio only as a social media platform and um ifat and i have been quite busy on there recently and um if anyone needs an invite then do um just reach out to me on social media because i have a few spares ifat is giving me a thumbs up i think she does as well um so yeah it's definitely a great place to meet people and and for sure asking questions and getting your confidence up about getting up and networking and meeting meeting people as well so just finally ifat um where can people find you online you mentioned twitter where can they kind of go to find your work and and you and if they want to get in touch with you. Uh I think the best way to connect is as Naomi mentioned we're, we're, we're a lot of the times on Clubhouse in the evenings we are having amazing conversations around AI actually every Friday we do a room uh at 6:00 central european time uh, around AI which includes you know talking about AI myths and uh definition of AI so it's really for if you're a beginner it's an amazing place um otherwise please connect me on linkedin feel free to connect me on linkedin or twitter uh, my twitter handle is at ifat gill and my linkedin you can find me by ifat rose gill um and just send me a message and uh, i'll i'll try to do my best to to steer you in the right direction or or if you need to have a conversation with me i'll be very happy to to have that conversation wonderful thank you so much ifat it was amazing to see you thank you so much um i love your backdrop and the plants as well incidentally oh, thank you thank you <laughs> thank you so much naomi for for approaching me for this this was really fun thank you That's all for this week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please to share it wherever you can on your own social media. And if you found the podcast interesting or useful, then do please tell a friend because we are always keen for new listeners. If you can find it in your heart to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or give us a shout out on your socials, then we'd love you very much as it genuinely does help other people to find us. We're on Instagram and Facebook at the Skylark Collective, and our website is www.skylarkcollective.co.uk. See you next time.